Hey, everyone, and welcome to the State of the Art Podcast with me, your host, Ethan Appleby. I'm very excited to bring you along as I dive into conversations with amazing people who are at the intersection of art and technology. Each week, you'll hear a different angle about how tech is bringing radical change in the way all of us interact with art. We have on artists to first-time collectors, as well as CEOs from some of the top digital art companies. We'll also look at the effects social media sites and crowdsourcing platforms are having on the art world and explore how other creative industries, such as music and fashion, were democratized using technology. So before we get started, I want to ask, did you catch our earlier episode with Patreon, the site that gets creators paid by running a membership business for their fans? Look, we liked it so much and we're so inspired that we created our own Patreon page. Really, we did it for two reasons. One, it lets us connect with you, our fans and listeners. And two, it helps us continue to make great content, get on better speakers, and find creative ways to continue this conversation with art and tech. So look, you can pledge as little as a dollar and become one of our patrons. To do so, check out patreon.com slash state of the art. And now on to today's episode. In this episode, I'm excited to welcome the co-founder of Principal, Monin Erbauer. While art fairs have existed for many years, the experience hasn't quite evolved to incorporate the digital innovation of the 21st century. That is, until Principal. Part of the MCH group, Principal is a new technology platform that helps art fairs manage their data while improving upon the collectors, visitors, and galleries' digital experience at art fairs. Using Principal, visitors can scan artworks and labels to reveal information about a piece in real time including high-quality images that they can save, dimensions, price of the piece, as well as the exhibitor's contact details. Today, I talked to Monin about how he got started in the art world, how Principal is changing the traditional art fair experience, and where he sees digital innovation in the art space going. So please, allow me to welcome today's guest, Monin Erbauer. Monin, it's great to have you on the State of the Art podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm very honored. Uh, it's fun. We're, we're here I, traveling three cities in two days. We're in New York in your office. Background noise and all, so hopefully that adds a little character to the podcast. It's uh, Penn Station area, man. It's the best part of New York. Best part of New York. I, I, lo- I, you know, I need to get here at some point. Uh, so diving in, I mean, there's something that you know, I find interesting. You're the first person we've had on the podcast that has started essentially two art startups. You know, it's rare that you find someone who does one. You've done two. You know, if you look at your background, I mean, you, you're a UI, UX guy. You're from Belgium, worked in ad agencies. I mean, how do you get started in the art world? Uh, I totally rolled into this. So I went to graphic design school in Brussels, uh, and there we had a bit of a traditional upbringing with a lot of like uh, new drawing and like a lot of art history. So I was like, you know, I, I was educated in the arts, but I wasn't really super actively participating in it. Um, and then it's just uh, Tobias Boonstoppel, and uh, was a friend of mine who, who became my co-founder. Um, we had done a little project together in the past, uh, just kind of like a weekend project. And we were like, hey, we're a really good team. We should like team up to do something more serious. So the team was there before the idea was there. Sure. And then in like two year, in a two year span, we would just like hang out over the weekend and like bounce ideas and fantasize about like, you know, starting a company one day together. 
which all seemed like very distant and not really like yeah. realistic. Um, but then uh, he came actually up. He came up with this with this idea for Curator, uh, which initially was a bit of a different idea. But um, and tell us quickly what Curator was. Curator is basically a platform for like online art collecting. So it's uh, think of it like a digital art collection where you put art that you like, not necessarily art that you own, but just art that you like. And by putting in your collection, you can also follow other people's collection, and you can kind of discover new art through the community. Hmm. So structurally, it's very similar to something like Pinterest. Okay. Um, but the big difference is that it's a structured database, so which means that we organize all the art per artist. So if you, for example, search for Chuck Close, you're going to see all the artworks that all people have uploaded from Chuck Close. And then we have like image recognition and a bunch of algorithms to make sure that there's uh, no duplicates on the site. Okay. So it's kind of like a huge crowdsourced index of art. And uh, today we have about um, 100,000, no, 140,000 artworks in there wow. by over 30,000 artists. Um, so it's a, it's a pretty decent database now. So if like, if you need to s- see the work of a certain artist, you just like, go and curate a search his name and, and we'll, and we show you a pretty decent collection for most of them. Great. So from there. Uh, yeah. So we started with that and like initially I just, I was working advertising as a, as a, as a graphic designer and art director, and I just had a new, I just got a new job, and I was like, kind of going on that career track. And then Tobias came up with this idea, and then I was like, ah, oh, you know, I'm gonna help you out with the UI, but I'm not like, you know, I just started this new job, and I like this job, but blah blah blah. Um, and then as I started working on this, and I just started learning about the whole art industry and the scene, and uh, I realized there was so much opportunity because the art world really had, it was like one of the industries, we're talking about like 2010, 2011 right mm-hmm. now, the, the very, very beginning. Um, at that point, there, nothing really happened in the art world in terms of te- technological innovation. Mm-hmm. While music industry, like finance, like all the other industries, they all had been disrupted, you know, like with PayPal and iTunes and, and whatever. Yeah. Um, so art world was so behind and I realized there was so much potential. And then as I, I just really just rolled into it and I got really fascinated with the art world and the whole opportunity there. And then in 2012, we both just quit our jobs and went full time. That's great. And, and you were, I mean, one of the first to really think about mobile, I think, in the art world, right? You guys had a, a mobile platform for a curator, uh, you know, image recognition. I mean, there's a lot that you're doing that really was at the intersection of art and technology. Uh, yes. Uh, though I would have to be honest here our mobile game is not as strong okay uh our the main platform is really the websites we made a mobile app but we didn't have we never really had the funds to like go hard on it so the mobile app is kind of like a very distilled version of the website okay uh with some functionality missing but yes we we did have our mobile app and uh, and so i mean what was i guess from there i mean walk us through you know the idea was inspired by what exactly i mean you said Tobias came up with it. What was it that he was trying to solve for? And then, like, what did you learn kind of going through that mm-hmm. process? Um, what he was trying to solve was that he, he uh, bought an apartment and he was uh, looking for some art to hang on his walls. Yeah. And I've heard that story before. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and like so many people, he's like, oh, finally, I live in an apartment big enough with some wall space. I want to buy some art. And then, where the hell do I go to buy art? Yeah. Uh, and then his first gut instinct was of course the internet but 2010 there's really nothing happening on the internet in terms of buying art like even yeah there's just nothing happening um and then his second gut reaction was uh i want to i have all these friends who have art collections i want to see what's hanging on their walls Mm -hmm. um and then his that was really the initial idea was it's kind of naive but 
what if we make a platform where um, where people can upload the art that they have hanging in their house so you can see each other's art collection on a digital platform. And this is naive because people don't buy and sell art all the time, so it would be very dead in terms of activity. Yeah. And second of all, because uh, if you're a serious collector, your collection is probably worth a lot of money, uh, and you're not going to put that online. It's just mm. too private. Uh, but then we were like, okay, if you're going to have a digital art collection, why not just make it about the art you like instead of the art you own? Because that's really what you want to know about your friends, right? You have this one friend with, yeah. which has really good taste, all you need to know is what is the kind of art he's into, not what is the art he actually paid money for. It's mm -hmm. kind of irrelevant. Um, so that's how like the idea kind of pivoted and that became curator. I mean, I like that because it does pull out the social element of art um, that I think, you know, in sort of the offline art world, people gravitate to. And so looking at how do you bring that online and, you know, ultimately with this, it's, you know, getting the more people that are talking about art and comparing collections or whatever it may be, you know, the more people, um, the more of their friends will buy art and be interested in it. Mm -hmm. It's like yeah. this, this tipping point. It's a big awareness game. Yeah. Uh, and I think... It's a good way to put it. I think that the biggest, um, the biggest value of Curator uh, is partly it's like, yes, it's a reference database. So if you need to see art of a certain artist, you can find stuff. But I think the biggest um, value is that it is a, uh, it's a way for you to kind of discover what you like. Yeah. You cannot go to all the museums and all the galleries in the world. Yeah. It's just impossible. There's so much art happening and you cannot physically be all, all the time everywhere to see it. So you need some kind of online platform that just like services you this art and curators. Um, I would dare to say the only platform that does like, that is really focused on just kind of serving you, service, servicing your art uh, in big quantities. Uh, make it really easy for you to kind of like browse through like large quantities of art mm -hmm. and to kind of like piggyback on like certain things you like and related artworks and click on a user who collected something and just kind of like this, the, we designed the site so there's never really a dead end so you can keep on clicking mm. and just kind of discovering. Um, and personally, like uh, building the site, I've obviously like I've been exposed to so much art by being, by, by building this. Uh, it helped me so much to kind of understand really what I like yeah. and some of the art purchases I did, nothing big, uh, but things I bought like in my early twenties, I realize now they're, they're just not, uh, they they don't withstand the time. Like you get tired of certain things. So, uh, in my, in my personal case, uh, photography is just not something I, w I would mm -hmm. ever buy again because it just, it ages very quickly. Uh, while abstract art is much more about like a gut feeling and the mm -hmm. gut feeling like stays forever. So the abstract art that I put in my digital collection, or that's hanging in my apartment is is uh, is much more time time safe. Yeah, let's come back to that that idea of uh, it not not changing uh, later. But so now you're working at a startup called Principle, mm. which you describe as a new technology platform for the art industry. Yes, that's a very broad term. First of all, like what does Principle stand for? Oh, I'm so excited to tell you about this. So first of all, yes, it is kind of new platform, but the logo of Principle is actually the logo of Curator. It's a six dots, but we just turn them around. Uh, and the reason why is because Curator and Principle, they're kind of sibling brands. Uh, and the thing is, what we didn't want to do is, well, first of all, Principle grew out of Curator mm -hmm. because Principle was kind of the business model behind Curator that mm -hmm. we were planning to build. Uh, but then we were like looking into investments, et cetera. And then this acquisition happened, but this acquisition we, we sold to MCH Group. Um, 
What is, just tell people, MCH Group? MCH Group is the parent company of our Basel, and we own um, a number of regional art fairs in the world, so India Art Fair and Art Dusseldorf in Germany, and uh, we also own Design Miami, partly. Uh, and so and we have a bunch of other trade shows as well, but that's mm-hmm. less relevant for this story. Anyhow, we this acquisition took like two years, so everything kind of got put on hold. But basically what we wanted to do with Curator was really get into the art fair business because uh, art fairs are a very, very important uh, controlling factor in the art market. Um, so principle, what it is, it is a technology platform, a, a professional software as a service platform primarily for art fairs at the moment. Uh, and in the future, we, we're going to add stuff for galleries as well. The reason why we keep it vague for now is because the truth is that principle is part of a really big, very ambitious strategy that uh, we're working on. Um, can and we can, us, can you tell us what that is? I can I can say some things. I can lose a few things, uh, but it's like way too early to like tell you too much about it. Okay. Uh, but so so that's why that's why we keep it a little fake. So it's basically a software as a service platform for art fairs um, that is focused right now at the moment mostly on data management on the art fair site. So if you run an art fair and uh, big art fairs or small art fairs, they're all run by relatively small teams. I think most people would be really surprised about how small the teams are. Uh, and those teams, they don't have a uh, budget for like crazy digital innovation. They just don't like, they don't have the, they don't have the know-how, they don't have the budget. Uh, so what we're doing is we're trying to solve these problems on a bigger scale and just kind of sell it as a service to art fairs. And the interesting thing is that there is, uh, there's just no competition. Like literally, this is a blue ocean situation where um, everyone just kind of let the art fairs uh, no one really cared about the art fairs. Uh, and then we were come, and, and the reason why is because there's maybe 280 art fairs in the world. Okay. So if you like, you know, if you sell, yeah, you can make like max like $8 million a year if you like really, really have like 100% market coverage and you, and you, and you make like a pretty decent amount of money per fair. But that's why it's not financially interesting. But the thing is, so that's why no one ever did anything for the art fairs. But the thing is, the art fairs, they really control the market today. Because if you ask me, and if, if, and that's also what I would answer Tobias in 2010, if he would ask me, when he asked me, like, where do I go to buy art? I will go, I will ask, what is your budget? What kind of, what kind of stuff do you like? And based on that, I will send you to a different art fair because art fairs are kind of the tastemakers of the industry. You have the galleries or the tastemakers, as in they kind of like surface up artists. They will pick up artists from God knows where and kind of bring them into the spotlight. But then you have the art fairs who kind of bring up the galleries and put them in the spotlight. So the art fairs are really kind of the tastemakers of the tastemakers. And they're so important uh, because these days, most that's where most of the market, like most of the transactions happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have like, you know, even within the same budget range, you have different tastes. Like for example, if you compare Untitled with Volta, um, oh, sorry, un- Untitled with Scope, uh, during our Basel Miami, they're both satellite fairs. They have their tent next to each other on the mm-hmm. beach, but they're, entrances face in the other direction because they don't like each other because they don't, you know, they're they're catering to a different audience. Untitled is a little bit more like highbrow art and then uh, Scope is a little bit more, uh, you know, like more like gimmicky art, more like Instagrammable art. Yeah. Um, so basically the point is like art fairs are really, really important. And what we want to do is like we want to start with art fairs, kind of solve these problems for the art fairs, kind of bring the whole industry up into the 21st century mm-hmm. and then take it from there. And, and you think, so just to recap, I mean, why art fairs haven't evolved technologically is because 
it's just, there's so few of them that no one's really put a lot of energy into exactly. wanting to solve their. They can't solve these problems by themselves. They just can't. It's you need you need to solve this on a bigger level, like yeah. together, and that's what we're doing. So you mentioned doing data management for them now. I mean, how do you think data plays a role in enhancing the experience of an art fair? Um, the data, the data management is, has nothing to do with the experience. Okay, uh, it has actually zero to do with the experience. It's all about um, an art fair. Is basically the data of an art fair is the core business model of an art fair. Okay. Like an art fair is only as strong as its list of VIPs and its list of exhibitors. So, uh, and then the relationships with those VIPs and with those visitors is very important. And you need to be able to, to say like, okay, uh, which VIP uh, is related to what exhibitor, which, uh, you know, like you need to be able to, you need, you need to be able to keep track of this data. And if you want to reach a certain slice of your audience that comes from a certain city and certain age range or like whatever, you need to be able to get this data out. So mm-hmm. this like storing the data somewhere is one thing, but like getting it out of the system in a useful way so you can like do targeted emails or targeted whatever towards a certain audience is very important. But it has nothing to do with the experience. What you're referring to is the app that we launched last week yeah. for our Dusseldorf. So part of the package when an art fair joins our platform, part of the package is related to the experience at the art fair, which is an app. It's kind of a white label solution Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's an app that any art fair that will use our platform can use with their logo on it it's not the principal app it's the in this case the art Dusseldorf app or the India art fair app sure and what this app does at the moment is very simple we basically gather the digital catalog of the art fair and we connect it to the real life experience through image recognition so any visitor that comes to the fair they can flip out their phone, take a photo of an artwork, and we will recognize the artwork, tell you what it is, give you a high-res image of it, tell you what uh, gallery you saw it at, give you the medium, dimensions, all that kind of stuff. Um, And then later when you go home, you have a nice overview of all the stuff that you saw at the fair. Um, And in the future, I can can already tell you this, like next year we're planning to integrate ticketing in that as well. Mm. So ticketing and digital VIP pass. So the app really becomes kind of like the core, like that is, it's actually very important because that way you can can convince people to download the app because it will be your ticket Ticket. or your VIP pass. And then the image recognition is kind of this like extra thing that you discover when you get to the fair. Um, While now we're launching it in, in, uh, in, uh, in a week from now at our Dusseldorf, wow. actually. Uh, yeah, it's very exciting. Um, and we don't do the ticketing now. It's fine because we're just kind of like testing it out, see, yeah. how, see how it will hold up, see how people react. Uh, and we know it's impossible to recognize all the artwork. So we also built in a, a, a specific text recognition engine that can recognize artwork labels. So we're printing the labels for every artwork at the fair. So you can also take a photo of the artwork label and then we'll also tell you what it is. So what is your hope? I mean, that people do with that. So they've taken this picture, they've built this collection, they go home and, and then what? The big picture here is that we're trying to build a digital bridge between the collector and the gallery at the physical fair. Okay. And if you built that, the first step is putting an app in the hands of the visitor or collector. The next step will be putting a app in the hands of the exhibitors and the moment that you just kind of like digitally facilitate that communication transaction uh once you have that you have a very like the value of the platform of principle becomes more clear if yeah. you know what i mean yeah. so it's not just about like creating a nicer experience it's about really kind of like building a digital channel 
to manage your sales and manage your whole like visitor experience. And then potentially you could like next year help guide people based on what their tastes are to what booths they should go to or what galleries they should see. Yes, absolutely. Um, though I would be a little wary of making that kind of statements. I, I will say, yes, sure. Like as we gather more data, we will definitely use that data. Uh, but I'm also a little skeptical about algorithms trying to predict people's taste. Yeah. I'm not saying it's impossible. I definitely think algorithms algorithms can help. But we're talking about art and, you know, people in the art world, they're like, also, they take it a little serious. Yeah. And if you come up with an algorithm that uh, that predicts what kind of art you're going to like, people not necessarily going to appreciate that. Like yeah. people want to follow curators. They want to follow people. They want to follow like, you know, there's the more valuable data. And actually going back to curator, this is actually what curator does really well. Is like we are gathering kind of an, like a, a feeling of your taste. Mm-hmm. And we can we can recommend art to you, not based on like some crazy algorithm that is comparing tags and like metadata, uh, but we can, we can recommend art based on people that have a similar taste to you. Yeah. So we can really kind of like mine your taste. So that is interesting. So for sure there's gonna be algorithms, but like the, all the algorithms are gonna be based on humans with specific taste. Um, and I think always still there's gonna be people come to a fair to see a certain artist or see a certain gallery or, or follow a certain curator. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those are always going to be the main driving factors. So you say that, but uh, being Basel, you know, if you've gone to Art Basel, you'll see that there's a lot of people there who are not serious collectors, <laughs> okay, who are taking selfies, who have no idea what gallery they want to see, what artist they like, what their taste is. And... Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so they're not going there for that reason, but they're there. I mean, you know, how does Basel or any art fair? I mean, I'm, it, what? I'm going to give you a brutally honest answer. Okay. They're not the clients. Okay. So what is, that's a good answer. The client then is, is whom? I mean, it's the person who's already buying art. They're the billionaire who's gone, gone there. Well, depends. The clients for us yeah. is not the collector. The client for us is the art fair and the gallery. Okay. Um, the client for the art market is the people who are already buying. And then the big untapped potential is the people who are not yet buying, but could might buy. buy or could buy, but yeah. don't know where to go, you know? And this is, this is the huge holy grail that basically any, any startup that is trying to build a marketplace is trying to go after. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not going to lie that we're, we're definitely also like aiming at that audience at some point. Um, even though we're not ready for that yet. Um, but that is the audience. Yeah, all the people who go to Miami just for the parties and to take selfies <laughs> um, is great because it helps the whole cultural phenomena of yeah. Art Basel. So from Art Basel's perspective, like they're definitely not complaining about that. Um, but they're but not the galleries s- are complaining. Are they? Really? I don't know. Are they? Are they not? Because they're, they're buying. I don't so- think they're complaining. I think it just creates this whole huge party atmosphere around our Basel and it really just kind of like it went so beyond like art it's kind of funny that I would say like half of the people going down to Miami they're not even half I'd say 80% 90%. <laughs> well depends. I was gonna say they're not gonna even step into an art fair oh okay uh, yeah yeah I, I would I would say like 80% doesn't go as primarily reason sure. for art so yeah, you're right but uh I mean it creates like this kind of party vibe and yeah. it it just makes it cool for nerdy art people to go to an art fair. You know, yeah. like getting on a plane to go see an art fair. Uh, it's nice if you can combine it with some other stuff. You know? Yeah. So, but so okay. So it sounds like you, when you say that they aren't your client. I mean, some of the people taking selfies could be your client. They might not be serious now, but they're there and 
could potentially, I mean, can certainly afford, you know, a lot of them probably afford to buy it. They just aren't yet. Yes. So you're saying the, the, they aren't your customer now, but eventually they could be. But remember what I said, our customer is a gallery and the art fair. Yeah. So what we want to do, yes, of course, we want to bring art uh, awareness to the people and curator is a, is a very big part of that. But um, what we mostly want to do is we want to enforce the art fairs and the galleries yeah. to do better business. So we want to help them connect to the audience by being more technologically innovative and all yeah. that stuff. Um, but it's not technically our own audience. So they're your client's client. They're my client's clients. Yes, yeah. exactly. Do you think there's room for technology to improve the experience or convert these potential buyers into buyers at art fairs? There's definitely a huge opportunity for technology to improve the experience of going to an art fair. Mm -hmm. For example, your ticketing and your VIP pass and mm -hmm. your, you know, the thing that we just, uh, that we're launching with image recognition. Those are all things that can be smooth, like smoothed out. Um, and then there's just the whole like follow up to the fairs, the emails and all that kind of stuff. So all of that, there's a lot of room for innovation in terms of converting people to like collectors. I'm not sure if technology is just like an easy solution like that, but I think it will definitely um, create a feeling that art fairs are part of 2017 and not mm -hmm. some kind of thing that old people go to. Um, so I think it will help in an indirect way. Hey everyone, I want to take a quick break to give you a heads up that I'll be in Austin for South by Southwest in a couple weeks. It's going to be my first time and I cannot wait to go. Especially because we're going to do a live episode of State of the Art, the South by Southwest podcast stage at the Fairmont Hotel on March 15th at 12.30 p.m. This is going to be our first live podcast, so don't miss it. The panel will include three people doing some of the coolest things at the intersection of art and technology. A couple of them you've already heard on the pod. They'll include the CEO of Absolute Art, a representative from SF MoMA, and the CEO of French Girls. So if you want to catch State of the Art live, visit sxsw.com where you can purchase a badge to see not only the show but all the inspiring conference sessions music films and other awesome stuff they're doing down there so go now back to the episode you know one one thing i noticed in your app in the app that launched for um our Düsseldorf was the image recognition but also what i liked is when you went to uh, a particular artist, it's you know you could click to their, you could call them, or you could call the gallery. You call the gallery, and then you could click on the Instagram of was mm. it the gallery or the artist? The gallery, also the artist, but not for this version actually. Okay, just the gallery. I mean, to me, you know that was interesting because Instagram has done a lot in sort of raising, I think, the profile of art and people's sort of exposure to art. You know, do you look at do you look at things like that, or I mean, specifically the story? around an artist and, and see how technology might be able to help tell that story because often the artists are not at the art fair. Hmm. I mean, they're pretty much never there, right? So do you see ways that technology can help that? Because that, that's a big part of, of buying art, right? Is a story behind the artist? Yeah. Uh, well, one thing about Instagram, we really embraced Instagram because it's just the, primar the primary platform for artists and galleries. Mm -hmm. A lot of galleries actually sell a lot of art through Instagram. Um, and I think that's great. You know, like we're doing other things, but we don't see this competition. So we definitely just want to embrace it. So in the app, 
for now, every gallery is linked to their Instagram profile. In the future, we'll also link artists to their Instagram profile. And telling the artist story is it's uh, it is important. It's very important. Uh, I'm going to be honest right now in the Artist Dorf app. Uh, there's very little information mm-hmm. about the artist. You don't get any of that story. Um, but it's also because this is just super beta. Yeah. Um, but but uh, but tying in Instagram was a great way to easily connect to Instagram, which then could tell their story. I mean, yeah. That's what Instagram does well. Yeah, for sure. And what we're working on, uh, we curator. We have quite a quite a significant database of. Uh, not just artworks, but also bios and information and profile pictures and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff of artists. Um, and what I would like to do next year when we're planning a bit of a revamp of Curator is integrating a little bit more about the context of the artist into yeah. the artist profile. So right now, if you visit Curator and you go to any artist profile, you just see you see a name. If we have some information, you have an about, a Wikipedia page, a website, that kind of stuff. Um, and then the art, and that's it. What I would like to add to that is like photos of the studio, like maybe links to interviews, maybe links to like new, like basically like video, video, yeah, all that, all that kind of stuff. So the um, we definitely have that intention. We're curated to do that, um, but right now we're we're just we're a very small team. You have to understand that we're yeah. like a tiny, tiny startup, um, and uh, so we have to kind of focus our attention. One thing, stop, stop giving us excuses, <laughs> no, no excuses. One thing at a time, but yeah. this is definitely on the roadmap for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, so I was talking to the director of the Vienna Contemporary Art Fair, and one of the ways that they thought technology could be used was through um, helping with that taste that you said. Most of the sort of art world, quote unquote, is you know um, not so excited about. But by basically giving them direction, if you have an idea, this is something that's interesting. Someone who's on Curator, or they come into the the art fair and they take a quick style quiz, if they have no idea. It can help guide them, you know, to which places to see based on what their style is. Do you think there's any merit to that or do you think it's a problem that's worth solving? In the very beginning, in like in our beta, we actually had a style test like that Mm -hmm. when you would sign up. Um, But we got rid of it um, because I don't like to put people too much into boxes right away. Um, And in terms of curator, kind of a a realization I made over the years is that instead of trying to cater to everyone, the thing is curator can cater to everyone. Mm-hmm. You will find art from any style and sure. any, like period and like whatever you're into, you'll find it. Um, but I try to see curator more as a museum, mm-hmm. which means that it can be curated. Um, so we, we want to curate a little bit like what we push. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if you don't agree with it, you're more than like, you're totally free to kind of like go on your own adventure and find your own influencers, et cetera. Um, but, uh, but I don't want to get into this like kind of style quiz where an algorithm is going to calculate what kind of stuff you yeah. like. And, you know, it's just, I don't, I don't like algorithms to, to do too much of the work in that sense. Yeah. Uh, I like you to just get on curator and, you know, follow some people that you really like or just discover which people are like making, like uploading or contributing to stuff that you like. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think part of the point was if you look at someone who does not have a lot of experience in purchasing art, they lack confidence in in, mm. in their own taste. And so it's very important. You know, I'm not even sure it needs to be a real algorithm, but by just giving them something and then telling them these are the places that they should go, sometimes gives someone just enough of that confidence to step forward and not to just wander, you know, I mean I see this at Basel, it's like that people are just wandering around. I mean, and, and you're right, like many of them probably have no intention 
to my art, but I like to think there's like, you know, there's this overlap of 10, 20% people who potentially could, and maybe not this year, but maybe next year, if they just had a little bit of guidance, a little bit of yeah. something that like helped get them to take a true. step forward. This is very true. Versus like kind of running in circles. Yeah. Again, we're a super small team. Yeah. We don't have that kind of, I, I can't seriously claim that curators trying to help you with yeah. that uh, because we don't have enough of those like curator voices sure. on curator, but it is a platform that is like very easily lent to that kind of things. So in the future, hopefully more of that. Um, but what it can help you with is just kind of like get an idea of what's, what's, what's happening. And like basically whenever there's anything that is like uh, causing some kind of uproar in the art world or just in the world in general, like I remember Paul McCartney putting um, a giant butt plug somewhere on a square in Paris, that stuff will be uploaded to Curator within a day wow like some like whenever there's like some artist making the news because of some artwork it will so like curator becomes kind of like a, a pulse of like what's happening in the world um but it's also just it's really effective to just kind of see what's going on everywhere kind of f figure out what you like and you know yeah you talked about bridging the gap between sort of the physical and the digital world I mean, how do you see it happening, you know, either at galleries or within art fairs? I mean, this doesn't have to be just to principle, but, you know, how do you see that, that balance being blended? I mean, if you, you know, read this Art Tactic report, they said, you know, it's all, all these online art fairs want to do like pop-ups and offline stuff and yeah. all, all these physical galleries want to go online. I mean, what do you see as the future of that, that um, intersection of, of online and offline? Well, the bridging the gap between physical um, experience and digital realm comes from our press release about the, or at least our article about the app that we're launching. Yeah. And there is very practical. It's about digital catalogs, uh, digital previews of art fairs, mm -hmm. RT and Artnet and Palade and Artspace. They all have been doing it for like many years. Yeah. Um, nothing new about that. But the problem is that it lives in a vacuum and then you go to the art fair and you see an artwork and there's no connection between the artwork that you see hanging in front of you and the digital catalog. So, we're literally bridging that gap that you can take a picture of the artwork and you'll get connected to the, the instance of it in the digital catalog. So yeah. that is pertaining that. Um, but in general, I do think there's a lot of opportunity for kind of a cross-pollination between digital and physical. Yeah. So like right now, we're using the physical art fairs and we're building a digital platform for the physical art fairs. And yeah. I told you at the beginning of this conversation that we want to kind of create a digital channel between the collector yeah. and, the, and the gallery. I think if you establish that digital channel and you establish all these things that are going to happen online, there's going to be more happening online. And then later on, it can be very interesting to like funnel some of that back to offline. But this is more kind of like in a few years from now. Like we can't, we can't talk about it right now. It's just, I, I can only say vague platitudes, yeah. unfortunately. But I, I think there is potential to like kind of do things online and then bring them back to the real world. Because yeah. in the like art online and art offline, you have to understand is they're they're two completely different kind of experiences. Yeah. Online, I would say the value is you can see a lot in very short time. Mm -hmm. Kind of like drill through what you want. You can search. You can like all that kind of stuff. And the physical experience is the true experience to say so. So like I see online art more as kind of a bookmarking engine to find the things you like so you can experience in the real world. But online is never gonna like compete with offline. So yeah. if you build a lot of stuff online, it's almost obvious that at some point it's gonna go back offline because you need to see the art in person. Yeah. So that brings up an interesting, I mean, 
there's a lot of ways to go with this. I mean, one is the role of like AR and VR. I mean, the other is if you look at like two industries, so like books and music, right? I mean, music, when the radio launched, there was a lot of the purists out there that were really afraid that essentially people were going to stop going to concerts. Mm. And like quite the opposite happened, mm. right? Which was it only it only was like a feeder program into people discovering more musicians that they liked and then mm. being, you know, going to more live concerts. Because like you said, live is is always better than than um, online, but online sometimes is, is better than nothing. And on the other side of the spectrum, you have books, which, you know, through like Kindle and Amazon have effectively killed bookstores. Yeah. So but not books. But not books. Not books. But bookstores, so that the <laughs> offline, the offline experience of like a place to go. I mean, where do you think that like art as as like a broader category? Because you know, you talked about we want to move this entire industry forward, you know, and and thinking of AR and VR and all all the different technologies. I mean, where do you think art lies? Right? Like, do you think that digital increases the number of people interested in art, which increases the attendance at art fairs and art galleries? Or do you think the opposite happens? Well, first of all, I don't think the comparison with books is fair because okay. you can read a book on a Kindle or you can read a book in a physical form. It doesn't really make any difference. Like okay. the story doesn't change. The experience of a story doesn't change. It's just your, your medium of how you consume it. And with art, it's completely different. Right? Yeah. Uh, with music, you could argue that listening it on your headphones might actually give you a better sound quality than going to a concert. Mm -hmm. But then, of course, the concert has different values. So mm -hmm. music is its own little thing. But art is very clear that a JPEG will never compete with a real artwork. It just mm -hmm. it just will never. Um, so I think the whole the value of like this kind of like digital innovation, all that stuff is definitely like just exposing it to more people. Um, and and even if people that are already exposed to it, helping them find the stuff that they want, helping them kind of like understand that there's more going on than whatever they perceive in their little bubble because mm. everyone's in a little bubble i mean you might go to a bunch of art fairs and your bubble might be big or you might just like know art from like a blog you follow or like a gallery around your corner um but uh it's always just a bubble yeah and 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 digital is just kind of helping you expand your horizon um yeah. okay let's let's talk about this little bubble within the sort of art and tech world you mentioned a number of companies earlier art space Padelaide, uh, artsy, you know, there's been a, a, an explosion probably in the last four years of, uh, since you started Curator, mm. of sort of online art and tech that have tackled different angles, auctions and marketplaces. I mean, what, what's your thought on, on those companies and the space overall? Well, first of all, I know, I know people at pretty much all of these companies. Yeah. So I know in person the people who like worked their asses off and like shed sweat and tears to bring their company where, wherever it went. So I have a lot of respect for all of those, all of those guys. But after those few years, no one really has succeeded at what they were trying to do. Yeah. So it's kind of obvious. And um, at this moment, uh, Artsy is the only one that is still kind of like standing in a stable way. But in general, for I, I think you have to kind of make it uh, a, a separation between two kinds of startups or three kinds of startups. One of them is the kind of startups that go after services. Mm -hmm. The other one is startups that are going after marketplace. Okay. And then within that, you have the startups that go to the high-end marketplace, which means like the Art Basel crowd and the Armory Show crowd and the Freeze crowd, etc. 
and then you have the startups that go for the crowd that doesn't know anything about art but wants to hang something on their wall. Mm -hmm. So the art.com and etc. Uh, etc. Et so the last one, I, I they're just kind of like in a different ballpark. So I, I just kind of yeah. So breaking in, I mean, I want even why haven't I mean none of them work. I, I take him. I take him out of the conversation. So so we're focusing on the ones that go for the high end part of the art uh, art market, either yeah. by with services or with a marketplace. The services, uh, I think there's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of, that's also the reason why we're principally going after services, uh, because there's a lot of still, there's a lot of real core problems in the art world that needs to be solved. A ton of inefficiencies. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So a lot of opportunity there. Um, honestly, in my personal opinion, problems that are not that hard to solve. Mm -hmm. uh, it's more a thing about changing people's behavior that is very hard. Uh, for example, inventory management at galleries, like there's multiple startups that try to do that and try to help with that. But galleries just keep on sticking to Artbase, which runs on FileMaker Pro, which is an absolute disaster. Uh, it's like super 1995. And then there's the art startups, they go for the marketplace. And that particular thing is kind of the holy grail right now. Mm -hmm. Like whoever's gonna, whoever's gonna figure out how to do an online marketplace for the high-end part of the market, which I mean, it's like, let's say $5,000 and up, that's not even the high end part of the market, but like mm -hmm. if you really become like the reference for that, um, it's, it's the holy grail, period. Yeah. Um, so who do you lump in that? I mean, is, is Paddle 8 in that? Is because they're more auction based? I mean, are you? I just, I, 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 I prefer not to like talk yeah. about other startups because it's, it's, it's sensitive world. and yeah. I know people everywhere and I don't like to, I don't like to. Okay. So, so if you're their advisor, I mean, what, when you're looking at this, what, the, what, would, what would be the advice that you would give? I don't want to be their advisor. I just want to explain a little bit more my understanding of the, the bigger picture okay, in the art fair. world. Um, and I think trying to build a marketplace today or five years ago uh, is the holy grail, but it's very, very, very hard. And the reason why it's very hard is because the art market gets controlled by the middleman. And this is, this is, um, this is not paralleled in any kind of other industry I can think of. Like you cannot compare it to anything. The art mm. world, the art world functions on its own rules. And in this own rules, you as an artist, if you cut out all the middlemen and you're an artist and you sell an artwork directly to a collector, your artwork has never the value that it has, that it could have in the current art world. And sure. the reason, the reason why is because an artist will only become big when they get picked up by a big gallery. That is kind of the defining factor of a big artist. Like you get picked up by Gagosian or Zwerner or like whoever. Um, and then a gallery, the way how a gallery kind of shows their uh, status is by being part of big art fairs. Mm -hmm. So then you have like Freeze and Art Basel and like Armour Show and all those, like all those art fairs. And they kind of like validate the gallery. So you have like every middleman that is kind of like validating the other middleman. And this is, this is really crucial to understand how the art, work, art, art market works. So imagine you're an artist, you get picked up by Gagosian, your value goes up like a hundredfold. Mm -hmm. If you're a gallery and you get picked up by Art Basel, your value goes up a hundredfold. So those middlemen are really important. So you cannot cut out those middlemen. So it's not like an other industry, like books or like, like what Amazon did, just kind of like cutting all, all the, all the middlemen and then, and then and making a bunch of money like that. It doesn't work like that. You need the middleman to create your value. And, the problem with a number of startups that are trying to build a marketplace is that they, because they're a digital platform, they have, they have to basically cater to an as wide audience as possible. And the whole, the whole point of like, why, why is being part of, as a gallery, why is being part of our Babel such a big deal? 
is because this may be like 300 galleries that are part of Art Basel. Mm -hmm. I I'm, might not say the right number, but like roughly yeah. 300 galleries. And if you're part of those 300 galleries, great, you're an Art Basel gallery. And if you're not, you're just not. So for every gallery that applies to Art Basel, that's like maybe two, 3,000 galleries that try to get in, but they can't. It's like the hottest nightclub in town. Mm -hmm. And because of that, the value of Art Basel is so high because it's very, very limited supply. And you cannot recreate that digitally. If you try to build a digital platform and you're going to say, we're only going to allow 300 galleries, how do you even get there? Art Basel didn't just like start like that mm -hmm. overnight. They just kind of slowly like just ended up in this position. Um, same for Freeze and Armour Show and all the other shows. So you can't just recreate that. So online platforms, they try to go for everyone. But if you go for everyone, then you lose the whole exclusivity part. So in terms of a marketplace, you can never compete to an art fair or a fancy art fair uh, as a digital platform because you just, you're not, you're not on the same playing fields. Sure. There's different rules. So I do believe that the future of art fairs, and I think a lot of people in art tech will disagree with me, but I, I really, really believe that the future is with the art fairs. And um, the art fairs, they're really controlling the market right now. Mm -hmm. There's art, art fairs in the auction houses on the other side, and the auction houses are definitely more, I mean, they're more secondary market, right? And they're, they're, you know, they, they have their own thing, but it's a whole different world. In terms of like primary market, art fairs are just kind of the defining factor in the whole industry. And that's the whole point of our business plan mm -hmm. behind Curator, which became principal, is that we don't want to create a new marketplace and try to compete with art fairs, which other startups, any any other online marketplace is trying to compete with art fairs. Um, and even though they might give services to art fairs in a limited extent, they're still competing with them. So um, and I don't want to call any names, but like if you're a little familiar with like the art tech scene, you know, you know what I'm talking about. So we believe that um, instead of trying to compete with them, we really want to enforce sure. the, art, the art first. I mean, so, so then it seems like you don't believe that tech has a role in or ever will democratize the art world. Democratizing the art world is, um, that's a difficult one because the whole art world works because it's not democratic. Yeah. It's not a nice. But it's also, a, it's, it's, also, a it's, nice, also it's also very small. It is very small. That's very the whole small. Point. And it's not democratic. No. It's controlled by very few very powerful players yeah and just kind of the whole structure of the industry is relying on that and but if you, if you look at like like history of the world right and you compare that to you know the governing of countries those countries have always fallen <laughs> okay so i mean and there's a like reason the there's a reason for that so they're holding on tight a small group of people have a lot of power but eventually that fails. I mean, and so right now you could argue that there's a lot of artists and a lot of buyers, collectors, consumers, whatever you want to call them out there, who could never spend, you know, the, what it would take to buy at Art Basel. Mm. What happens to them? I mean, I, I'm sorry to break it through. I yeah. love your comparison with countries. Yeah. I, it really cracked me up. Uh, no one ever made that comparison to me. So it makes me think, but uh, it doesn't, it's very different because. It's like a social club, fine. It, the, well, no, 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 no. The, the thing is, like, art is so much about status. Yeah. It's about a status symbol for rich people. Yeah. It's not about the cultural, and I have to be careful with saying this, yeah. but, you know, it's not about the cultural value of art necessarily. It's about, like, the bragging rights. Yeah. It's about, like, I have an original Jeff Koons, or I have, like, a ba-ba-ba, and I bought it from ba-ba-ba yeah. gallery, and I get the super VIP treatment. It's all about that, yeah. and that is never going to go away. Like, it's just, as long as we have rich people, which 
the world doesn't really look like we're gonna get less rich people anytime soon. There's just more rich people all the time. And those rich people, they wanna show off their wealth and they wanna kind of be pampered and wanna be part of a thing. And art is this kind of ideal way of yeah. showing up. I mean, I'll, I'll say, I, you know, there's three reasons people buy art, right? There, it's financial, it's prestige, and it's aesthetic. And aesthetic is actually the one that has the most to do with the artwork itself. Mm. But it's also, it's also the one that the art world disregards the most. Well, they all put it under, under the cover of aesthetics, but it's not about it's aesthetics. It's not about aesthetics. It's not. No. Because, I mean, aesthetic is almost a negative word. <laughs> you know, it's like, that goes above my yeah. couch. That's, right. That's, it's aesthetically pleasing. I mean, but that is what is most about the art versus how much it's worth because of who the artist is or what gallery yeah. they, they were represented by. But fine. So I'll, I'll say I buy all that. But what about, I mean, you know, I do think if you look at millennials wanting experiences, wanting things that are personalized to them, and more and more, if you look into people's spaces, their walls are what enables them to say who they are more than than anything, right? Mm -hmm. So what what happens? What happens to all the artists or the collectors out there who are not and cannot afford Basel, can I get into Basel? Yeah. So they're saying they work for $500, dollars $2,000 as an artist and as someone on the other side who can afford only that much. I, uh, that's a very fair point. It's hard to connect those two, but yeah. I think there's a lot of opportunity. Honestly, I, I don't buy, like I don't spend a lot of money on art. Like I think literally every artwork in my apartment and I have a few yeah. they're all either from artist friends or kind of like exchanges with artists yeah and, um and I would never spend even if I had money I would never spend a million dollars on an artwork it's just it seems ludicrous to me mm -hmm. um so I totally get where you're going after like people like me and you who just want to hang something on mm -hmm. their wall like how do you you know um there's just no one has no one has figured it out no one has figured out that part of the market, but it's yeah. also like that part of the market in order for a startup to sell in that slice, mm -hmm. you need to have massive, massive turnover to make it profitable. Mm -hmm. You know, if, you, if you're going for the big, like the, the high end part of the market, you sell one artwork, you take 10%, 5%, whatever, you make thousands of dollars. If you take 5% or 10% of the lower end of the market, you sure. make like $20 yeah. or $200. Um, so you just need like thousands and thousands of artworks being sold and bought like every month. Um, and I don't know if that's, I don't even know if it's possible. I don't even know if there's that much demand. Yeah. Uh, so it's very, very tough not to crack. Um, so I hope, I hope someone figures it out. I hope. Because there's so many amazing artists, let's be yeah. honest. Like there's so many amazing artists and so many people who need something on their wall. Uh, I hope we can help the curator just kind of like help the enthusiasm around that uh, and help people like understand that your apartment looks way better with a piece of art on the wall. Yeah. It's just, it's just how it is. It's just how it is. It's just how it is. Um, but well, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, it's a tough nut to crack. Okay, we'll come back in a couple months and you'll have the answer. But I, I think it goes to show why... You know, I have some, you know, a, a platform like Instagram that exposes people to art, you know, almost passively um, because it, our, artists have gravitated to it and it shows up in their feed to, you know, the people who are just taking selfies out of Basel because of the party. The point is, though, both of them expose people to art. Mm -hmm. And I think the more that Instagram can improve their experience and have video and Insta stories that show people who an artist are. And then we'll be able to go to Basel and these other art fairs for the party, but get exposed to art, even in a, you know, in a very quick, superficial way, wheels start to turn. Something starts to click where they say, 
hey, you know, I want I want to buy a piece of art, you know, and maybe that's only a five hundred dollar piece of art or whatever it is, but it's mm. it starts to click, hey, this is cool, I want something unique. And so I think, you know, what you're doing to improve the experience of art fairs, you know, definitely goes beyond just the wealthier, like current collector base, but can Absolutely. can help, you know, if not if not in your MVP this year, then certainly in the near future. All right. I have taken up more than your enough of your time, Mona. This has been been amazing. Can we do a really quick rapid fire? Yes. Okay. Who's your favorite artist? Oh, I have so many, but um, okay. <laughs> no, I'll I'll just tell you like one of my favorite artists, Wim Delvoye. He's a Belgian artist. Okay, he's definitely like our Basel level artist. Uh, he, I, I know him because I'm from Belgium and I've I known his work since I was a small kid. But uh, he he makes this like amazing. One of his works that I really like, he made these tires, and he will like sculpt the tires, okay. and they will become this like gothic pieces of art. It's so beautiful. Uh, and he made this machine. This is kind of like what, why he broke through. He made this machine. There's like a, basically a bunch of like pots with chemicals and they're all connected and you feed it food on one side and it will poop real shit on the other side. Oh my gosh. And then he will, like, it's called cloaca after the anus of a bird. Um, and, uh, and then he would sell the shit vacuum packed as like artwork. And I think that kind of level of art is amazing. Okay. Next. Uh, next, art will be as popular as music in what year? Art is not music. It's never the same. Okay, I don't, fine. I don't agree I knew with you were going to say that. Um, who's your favorite superhero and why? Superhero? I don't really get like, I'm not really in the whole superhero thing. No. Uh, Doctor Strange, if any. How long will Trump be in the White House? <laughs> I hope literally like maybe two or three more days realistically i set my expectations in like another year yeah but like asap get okay. him out of there all right you got that one i found that on your twitter so that was easy do you have a life motto or a favorite lyric you like i adhere to the principle of serendipity okay i don't believe in planning ahead too much yeah uh i mean it in business i mean it in personal life i mean it philosophically yeah uh just Go with the flow, follow your gut instinct. Just don't think ahead too much. Just be prepared about what's coming later, but yeah. don't spend all your time planning towards some kind of goal because life will take you in another direction. Anyhow. All right, I like it. So tell us, where, where can we find you? Where can we find Principal? Where should all the listeners go after this to You can find you? me on, no. Um, <laughs> if you walk around New York, you might run into me. I live in New York. Uh, you can find Principal on prncpl.com which is basically principal without the vowels uh, and but there's nothing for you to do there because it's a professional platform that uses the login page uh, more interesting would be curator which is like curator with an I like curious curator get it dot uh, com um, and we have we are on Instagram definitely follow us on Instagram. We're also on Facebook, but like, honestly, Facebook is a shitty platform. So yeah. we, we don't really do it. And where can anything. they find you? I mean, if someone wants to send you a message or... If you want to send me a message, actually the the easiest way is to, go, like, to search my name on Curator, yeah. go to my profile and click message. All right. My name is Moonen Erbuer, E-R-B-U-E-R. Oh my gosh. It's unpronounceable, I know. Yeah. You, you need to come with like, like Mo or something, something easier. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. So don't forget to visit Principal at Principal, that's P-R-N-C-P-L dot com 
and follow Monin on Twitter at the Monin. That's T H E M O E N E N. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review it. Leaving a review is super easy and it helps listeners like you discover the podcast. Oh yeah, and don't forget to check us out at State of the Art on Twitter for behind the scenes photos, a sneak peek to next week's episode, and really cool art videos you're gonna wanna show your friends. Until next week, this is your host, Ethan Appleby, signing off from State of the Art.